Coming up on Golf Today, an exclusive sit-down with Tiger Woods in the Bahamas, reflections on his journey back to health, and what will his year look like in 2022? How much golf is in the equation? And Tiger's good friend, Nota Begay III, joins the program to talk about his relationship with the big cat and Tiger's incredible powers of healing and recovery and what the future might look like. Plus, with a win this week at the Hero World Challenge, Colin Morikawa could become number one in the world. Is he already the best player in the game? It's all ahead on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Welcome to Golf Today on a Wednesday. Damon Eck alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. It is December 1st. I got frost on the windshield, and my golf clubs at last are starting to collect dust. In my long, cold winter in this game began when I first picked up a club, Damon, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's winter all year long for me out there. Still a little bit of golf to talk about as we hit toward the winter. Tiger Woods has played this game for a long time, and he addressed the media yesterday in Albany. And then this tweet from his Twitter account, looking forward to a great week at Albany looking very much like the tournament host that he is. This tweet, by the way, retweeted some 2,000 times, liked some 40,000 times already. And the strength of field, by the way, is also something to like. Six of the top 10 in the world, 14 of the top 20. Only Justin Rose and Henrik Stenson are outside the top 30. And Colin Morikawa, the highest-ranked player at number two, could reach number one with a win this week. Now, part of Tiger's busy Tuesday, including a sit-down with our Rex Hoggard. Thank you very much. Joined by the host of the Hero World Ta Challenge, Tiger Woods and Dr. Pavan Moonjal, CEO of Hero Motor Corp. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want to start a question for both of you. After having not played here last year because of the pandemic, what does it mean to be back at Albany? Well, it's fantastic to be back. It's been 22 months since we've been here. And uh, to have, the, obviously, the lockdown restrictions that India had um, and that we've had, obviously, in the United States, be able to have this event, be able to have the pros come in. This is the best field we ever had. And so to have all the pros support this event, um, it's been amazing, and, and it's going to be a great week. Dr. Moonjong. Well, it's absolutely wonderful, as Tiger was saying, you know, lockdowns all, all over and not being able to come here in 2020. Uh, I, was, I was sort of doubtful for this year as well, just until a couple of months ago. And, and now with the new strain, once again, there's new talk, new stories, new regulation, new restrictions. Very happy that uh, we are all here. We are having this event, supporting uh, Tiger and the foundation, and letting the guys have a good week here, come and play a round of golf. More guys this year, Tiger. You expanded the field to 20 players. Just your thoughts on expanding the field and the field in general. Well, I think that it was the right thing to do to try and get more players and more involved. Um, I think that it makes the field not only stronger but better. I mean, this is when we first started the event. I mean, back to, this was at the turn of the century, so it was '99, 2000. We celebrated, you know, in Phoenix and um, in New Year's for 2000. Uh, you know, the the more the most important thing is uh, well, at that time it was the silly season, called the silly season. You know, no one played you know post tour championship, so you know we wanted to have a fun event, uh, create something that we could raise money for the foundation, um, but. Now with we wanted more validity, so adding more more players to the event got us world ranking points. Um, that in itself, with the wraparound schedule, guys being asked to play late, deeper into the year because of the start of the new season, 
um, it was a challenge for us now, at, you know, towards Christmas, you know, our guys going to be playing this event. I think with world ranking points, it allowed um, if more guys talk to each other that if I'll play, you play, you play, you play, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have these great, great fields, and everyone has a great time out here. Everyone gets world ranking points. They play deep in the year um, and have a bunch of fun. And it's up to us here as hosts to make sure that they have a bunch of fun. Um, if wins are up, obviously I'm going to slow the greens down. Oh, okay, when I when I wasn't playing, <laughs> now that I I'm not, I'm not playing, that I can tell the green staff, you know, what pen locations are best and you know how we should set the golf course up. Um, but these are all things that we ensure that these guys have a great time. And I think the in one of the important things that I've learned throughout this entire time of hosting the event is that the guys that were first timers that came to the event. Um, there's eight of them this year. We've had so many repeaters that want to come back to the event, but they've gone back to their own charities and their own foundations and have done more um, because of what they've learned f through what we've done. And so I'm very proud of that. So the two million that we've reached through our foundation um, is a lot greater than that just because of the participation of the, of the players and what they've learned. You mentioned the first-timers. It seems like a changing of the guard. You have Colin Morikawa playing for the first time this year, Victor Hovland. What are your thoughts on this next generation you kind of watch now? Oh, man, they're all good. I mean, they all hit it far. Um, the game has gotten big. You know, it, at, I remember when it was uh, we invited like Nick Price and Marco Mira and Colin Montgomery to play. You know, the, it, now you're looking at Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa. You know, the, it, it's... It's a, it's a generational switch, you know, um, uh, but it's it's great for the game. It's great to see these kids out there playing, and um, it's cool to see how the game has shifted and has gotten bigger, but it also then again, how many players are doing it is, is the thing. It's not just one. I mean, Bryson's an outlier at how far he hits it, but the group right behind him, you know, there are a lot of Dustins out there uh, that, that can hit it just as far as Dustin and Rory. Um, there's a lot of that, and there's more coming out in college because they're training earlier. They're getting better instruction. They understand forces into the ground. Man, I, when I was younger, they're, they're trying to get me to slide my legs and have a reverse C. You know that that was that was the name of the game, and now it's you know force in the ground and explode and jump. You know we were taught not to jump, um, so it has changed, and it's fun to see that that generational change. Dr. Moonjaw, this is the seventh year you've been the title sponsor of the Hero World Challenge, and you're very involved with golf worldwide. Why does that fit into your business model so well? well we, we sponsor a lot of other sporting disciplines as well, like cricket, soccer, field hockey, which directly interacts with our customers. Golf, for me, is clearly interacting with all our other stakeholders whether it's the government, financial institutions, corporates, and many others. It takes the brand to a very different level. It's not about interacting or talking directly to your buyers. So far, the products we've been manufacturing have mostly been utility kind of motorcycles, smaller engines. Now we are getting into different league, getting into higher CC motorcycles, we also partner with Harley-Davidson now. We are distributors for Harley. We are going to be designing and producing for Harley. More importantly, going forward, March of 22, we will be launching our first electric vehicle. Clearly with that, 
we have an opportunity to directly get into the Western markets, whether it's Europe or US, where we have, don't have our products yet, but our brand is already there with, with Tiger Association, with the association, with Tiger's Foundation, and the Hero World Challenge. The brand already is all across the globe. We are present in 42 markets with our products, but the brand is present in many, many more markets already. Tiger, you mentioned this in your press conference a few moments ago. It's the 25th anniversary of your foundation. I'm curious, how has it evolved from the vision that you and your dad first had 25 years ago? You know, Rex, it was first a traveling circus. You know, we went from city to city trying to raise money for the local junior, junior golf uh, foundations that were embedded in, in those cities. Um, that was it. That's all we did. And then everyone knows the story about 9-11 and me changing it from golf-based to educational-based because that's how I was raised. And so that transition happened, and here we are based in STEM. And to see some of our kids and um, what they've gone through and how they've they've developed um, our or with scholars, you know, the amount of people that we've reached, and especially now that we've had to adapt because of the pandemic. Everything's gone more digital-based. Um, and these different opportunities and different platforms for us to reach uh, newer kids, um, because the, the there was a there's a divide now, unfortunately, of the have and have nots that went to school didn't go to school. They had a had a um, a laptop and didn't have a laptop. You're a year behind. Uh, we we want to close that gap, and, sh and we should have no gap, but there is a gap. And so we're working with different state governments right now to uh, state legislatures to try and make sure that we are able to get involved and. And get our curriculum in, and um, and try and shorten that gap up. I, th I think you touched on this, but what is the next step for the foundation? You talk about it evolving. Is that it the is, next step? It is evolving. It's going to evolve. You know, we have a few meetings here this week. Uh, um, in that, um, it could be changing uh, very quickly here soon, um, based on the, the meetings we have this week. Sad news this week. I did want to ask you about Lee Elder, passed away. What did he mean to you in your career? Well, Lee was with Lee was fantastic. Uh, you know, he. I was closer to Charlie than I was to Lee, uh, but um, it was just so I ironic that, okay, Lee's first Masters was the year I was born. Then I win um, in 97, and, you know, Lee's at the back of the green. And then he's an honorary starter uh, when I'm still, still playing. Um, and then he passes, you know, the other day, and it's, it's a bit of a shock. We all knew he was, he was sick, he wasn't feeling well been on oxygen for, for a while. Um, but what people don't realize is the amount of harassment that he had to go through just to play. Um, I know from my side, from talking to Charlie for all those years, I mean, so close to Charlie, it, it's, it's brutal. And my dad went through it at the same time, um, just to be able to play sport, just to play something you love. Uh, to have the, the attitude and, and the fierceness in the fight, to be able to fight for something you believe in, um, I, don't, I don't think he gets enough credit for that, uh, and especially to, to play at the Masters at that institution. Um, I know it's, it's evolving and has evolved, but at that time it was a much different world, and uh, obviously the, and Charlie didn't get, get, did a, get a chance to play in it, but Lee did. Um, so there had to be a first, and Lee was a first, and he should always remember, be remembered for that. Well, thank you so much for, for your time. Really appreciate it. I do want it. to add just a, just a line on Lee, uh, a wonderful human being. Well, I've known him for a few years now, and I've been going to the Masters with him. 
and I was sitting on the tee when he teed off uh, last year or this year in April. Uh, wonderful human being. Very special moment. Thank you both so much for your yeah, time. Thanks, Have guys. a great week. Thank you. Thanks, bud. Back to you. And Lee Elder, one of the men to pave the way for Tiger Woods. You know, Eamon, I look at Tiger there and the swoosh is there, the hat is on, the biceps are prominent. That interview could have been from any time throughout the spectrum, in my opinion, of his career, coming off of the Tiger Slammer, coming off of a back surgery. He looks to me like it's game day. Yeah, the, the public persona has kicked in again here. You know, we, we flipped the switch. It's Tiger, the, the business figure who's back here now. This is Tiger's week for his foundation. It's not a week for personal reflection for Tiger. He's not prone to doing that in public anyway. And I, I wouldn't necessarily expect that we'd see any of that from him. But what we have, the notes he's sounding, is it's all about cautious optimism this week. The optimism is ours. The caution mm. is Tiger's. But he talked about he still wanted to have an impact in this game. Well, what we just saw there may speak more to the impact that his body will allow him to have, which is through his foundation, rather than what he can accomplish on the golf course, because he seemed at pains yesterday when he spoke in public to kind of ratchet back what is the expectation mm. that is placed upon him. I tell you what, what I've learned covering sports and covering some of the greats to ever do it, I went to Jack Nicholas's home when he was in his 70s, and he was a very serious man. I interviewed Michael Jordan, who's a member of the Washington Wizards, not even the height of his power, and he was extremely serious, focused. You, it almost like his eyes were backlit. And I think Tiger is cut from the very same cloth. He's not going to give us too much. He's going to give us the bare minimum, as he always did. Yes, he's maybe softened by fractions compared to when he was winning, you know, seven majors out of 11, and that he is a father now. But at the end of the day, when he puts that hat on and that shirt on, uh, and, and he's starting to talk about a Ben Hogan type of schedule, I mean, you don't become a 15-time major champ by being soft and by letting other people dictate the terms of the deal. Tiger's a control freak. Nicholas is a control freak. Michael Jordan is a control freak. And you know when Tiger's handing that trophy to somebody on Sunday, he's going to whisper in their ear, you know, I could still take you <laughs> if I was healthy. <laughs> and because Tiger still believes that. Yeah. He said yesterday in his interview that he, th he talked about trying to click off a couple of tournaments. And I don't think he means play them by clicking off. I think he means win them. Do you think he can? I think he can. Yeah. I think he's never been, he's never won tournaments in the 82. He's never won because other people got wobbly very often. He, he was Seabiscuit who got in front and off he went and everyone else wobbled. We saw it at the Masters in 2019 when guys like Molinari and Poulter and Kepka wobbled on that back mm. nine and Tiger was there waiting to capitalize on it. Maybe this is the chapter in Tiger's career where he puts himself into the mix a couple of times and other guys see his name there and start to get a little wobbly because we know who's not blinking. Mm. It's definitely not Tiger. I think you brought up a great point about him kind of lowering expectations a little bit, but he's always been kind of subtle in the way that he says, you know, I've won a handful of tournaments. My, my career has been, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty cool. I mean, he kind of does that a little bit, kind of just to, to I don't know if it's just to jab us a little bit or, or to let us know that, you know what, I, I'm pretty darn good. You know, it's not just pretty good, but the way he kind of undersells a little bit. I love how he said, you know, click off a few tournaments. In his mind, that probably means a couple more trophies are going on the mantle. And his biggest flex yesterday came in the comments about this proposed super golf mm. league financed by the Saudis. When he, It wasn't just about his allegiance to the tour. He talked about his legacy. And he's literally saying to these other guys, I'm the one you're measured against, mm. and you're not going to be measured by playing this kind of ice capades golf off in mm. other places around the world for guaranteed money. And I think that was a very strong statement he made, but it was no less a flex of his resume. Legacy of 82 wins and 15 majors and perhaps 
a few more. Well, as 2021 wraps up, we look back at some of the most memorable storylines from the year. Paige McKenzie makes some bold statements after the break in a little game of Tell Me I'm Wrong. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Srixon, introducing the new Z-Star series. Need a soft, fast, responsive ball? No problem. And by Skechers. Be comfortable with Skechers Go Golf Elite 4 Victory Footwear worn by Matt Kuchar. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Back on golf today. If you like this game, I have to think you love what you saw in 2021 on the PGA Tour and LPGA. First, the PGA Tour, the major winners. Hideki Matsuyama, Phil, the oldest major champ of all time, John Rahm, and his beloved San Diego, Kamurakawa. Morikawa. JT winning the players' seven-shot comeback over the final 36 holes. The Bruin, Patrick Cantlay, winning the FedEx Cup and PGA Tour Player of the Year with those four wins on the season. Will Z won PGA Tour Rookie of the Year, fueled by eight top tens, including a runner-up at the Masters. And the LPGA Tour... Great storylines, great play. The Bruin, Patty Cavatanik at Yuka Sasso, Nelly Korda, Minji Lee, and Anna Nordquist winning major championships. The great battle between Jin Young Ko and Nelly Korda. They combined for nine wins. Jin Young Ko won the race to the CME Globe and the Rolex Player of the Year all in Naples. And Patty T won the Louis Suggs Rolex Rookie of the Year with that win in what is now the Chevron Championship. Time now, though, for Tell Me I'm Wrong as we welcome in our own Paige McKenzie. Paige, it's great to see you. Great to see you. And so we'll start with the LPGA uh, because we know Jin Young Ko, after winning the Tour Championship, she was named Player of the Year. Five wins on the LPGA Tour, but people were screaming, hey, Nelly Korda had four wins plus the gold medal. Maybe she is the best player in the world uh, as far as having a good year. I'm going to say, tell me I'm wrong. Jin Young Ko actually did have the best year. I'm out on this one page entirely. It's not just the number of trophies you have. I think it's what trophies there are. And Nelly Korda has a major and she has an Olympic gold medal. And I would also factor in their head-to-heads. Sure, you know, Nelly Korda mm. won four times. Jin Young Ko was in the field all four times. 
that Nelly Corda won. Whereas Nelly Corda was only in the field in two of the five victories that Jin Young Ko had. So I'm, I'm going to say Nelly Corda, while she doesn't have the award at the end of the year, I do think she had the better year. Yeah, Paige, you're rarely wrong, but on this one, you're wrong. Nelly Corda won a major <laughs> championship, became world number one as well, and ends the year as the best player in the game, the number one player in the world in the Rolex rankings. I think that Jin Young Ko, in quiet moments, would probably say, I wish I had you know, won the KPMG Women's PGA Championship and an Olympic gold medal. And even excluding the gold medal, I still think by becoming world number one and winning that major, that Nelly had the better year. It's, it's hard to argue with that, but I'm going to throw a couple more points at you. Uh, Jin Young Ko just took home the largest paycheck slash over the entire year ever on the LPGA, three and a half million dollars this year. So I know her bank account is thinking it's the best of the year, as well as the fact that she walked away with two Hall of Fame points this season as well, which Nelly was left wanting. I'm, I, I refuse to judge based on their bank account at the end of the year. I'm going with the wins. I'm sticking with my position, and you can't persuade me otherwise. <laughs> made Paige. me think. It made me pause. You know, money talks. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, boys. All right, well, there was another maybe controversy on the PGA Tour as it related to the Player of the Year as well. Patrick Cantlay walked away with it, but people thought John Rahm had the best year. I'm going to throw another name in the mix, and tell me I'm wrong, Colin Morikawa had the best year on the men's game. I'm entirely with you on this one. Colin Morikawa earned 407 world ranking points this year. That's way more than anyone else. He earned mm. twice as many points as Bryson DeChambeau did over the course of the year. And I think, you know, if you're pouring milk on your Wheaties from the Claret Jug, you've had a pretty darn good year. You throw in the DP World Tour Championship in Dubai a couple of weeks ago, a WGC event, it's hard to argue otherwise. I'm going to argue. I think John Rahm had the best year of anyone. So I think you're wrong again, Paige. I think John Rahm has a child perspective, a major, the, the whole bounce back from Memorial to the U.S. Open. And he's still the number one player in the world, by the way, as we sit here on Wednesday. I still think that John Rahm, with the consistency he had, the perspective in life inside the ropes and outside the ropes, he had the most fulfilling best year in the game. I mean, you're throwing the child Trump card in there. <laughs> I, it's hard to argue with that. I, I mean, Dee, that's a fabulous argument. Um, but, but with Eamon and I, I think... I think this is going to be an underrated year because of the fact that Patrick Cantlay was player of the year, because John Rahm uh, had a tremendous year. John Rahm uh, was low stroke average on the PGA Tour, rightfully uh, was thrown in the argument for uh, player of the year on the PGA Tour. Uh, but I think um, Colin Morikawa's year, it will be a slightly overlooked given that part of the success was on the European Tour. Well, babies and, and puppy dogs are kind of undefeated. You have to make an <laughs> argument. Just throw them out, and you'll be just fine. How about number three? You got another one for us? Yeah, tell me I'm wrong that the most memorable moment of 2021 was Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship at the age of 50. No, 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 no. The, the most memorable <laughs> moment to me is going back to, almost to the John Ram was that Sunday at Torrey Pines. Five different guys had a share of the lead in the final round of that US Open. John Rahm didn't get it until he birdied the very last hole when he had it on his own, became, became the first guy to win the US Open with birdies on the last two holes in almost 40 years. I think it was the most thrilling setup and it was a deserving winner. And to me, that was much more memorable than the fact that, that Phil held off a faltering Brooks Kepka and really no one else at Kiowa Island. 
Paige, you're, you're wrong again. Phil is very close to the top, way up there as storylines go. But to me, uh, the moment actually wasn't a, a shot struck or a trophy held. It was Rory McIlroy's incredible interview mm. on a Sunday when the Ryder Cup was basically already decided. The, the, the script was written really early on. We could tell the Americans would be dominant. And here's Rory McIlroy, this four-time major champ, imploring little boys and little girls to dream about Ryder Cups and Solheim Cups and the depth of his love for the Ryder Cup, even in defeat. I just thought it was a beautiful moment in this professional sports world where everybody's supposed to be tough and doesn't show their cards and doesn't show their humanity. I thought it was a wonderful moment. To me, that was my highlight of 2021. You know, this is probably my favorite tell me I'm wrong because I don't even care that I'm wrong. I really enjoy reliving the great moments of 2021. I mean, it, was a, it really was a tremendous year in golf. Yes, we hope for more of the same and maybe better in 2022. Paige, it's great to see you. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, All guys. All right, Paige McKenzie out west. Coming up next, guy who spent some time out west at Stanford with Tiger. That's Noda Begay III joins us live from the Bahamas. We'll get his reaction to Tiger's press conference when Golf Today returns. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For more from the Bahamas, welcome in Noda the third, our colleague from NBC and Golf Channel and great friend of Tiger. Noda, it's great to see you, pal. You've seen Tiger at his highest highs and his lowest lows. What have these last nine months been like for you as his friend watching him go through this? Well, it's been hard. I mean, to be quite fair, to see somebody that you care about for so, for so long and you have such a long relationship with. I mean, we've been friends, um, close friends since he was nine years old. You know, a lot of people think we met at Stanford, but we were friends long before that. And, um, you know, I grew up with him and Tita and, and Earl and going to all these tournaments. And so, you know, he's like a brother to me. And for him to go through that and have such a catastrophic thing happen to him, it was extremely difficult. And, you know, my role in the whole thing was just to be supportive and positive Positive as, as positive as I could with the outcome of the recovery, with the surgery, with the diagnosis of what was going to be possible. Um, always uncertain, uh, even now to a certain degree. Um, I just felt like my role was to be supportive and be as positive as I could. Nota, yesterday Tiger seemed to be resetting public expectations of what his competitive future might look like. And having known him from, since the age of nine, you know that he's wired to win 
and not much else. How difficult do you think it's going to be for Tiger to reset his own standards for what his body will permit him to do? Well, Eamon, if we were having this conversation 20, 10 or 12 years ago, I, th I think it would have been extremely difficult. But if you just sort of take away some of the elements of that press conference you can see a person that's trying to do the best that he possibly can and doing a great job at it of seeing all the positive things in his life in terms of directing a lot of that free time into spending more time with his kids and into other areas that uh, you know he may not have had time for in the last 20 or 30 years and you know those are great things for him that's part of maturity that's part of growth uh, I think to recalibrate people's expectations I, I think is a smart thing to do because when I'm out here walking the fairway on the PJ Tour, I've got so many people coming up to me. Number one, they want to send their best wishes to Tiger for his recovery, but a lot of times I get the question is, when's Tiger going to win another major? And I walk away thinking, wow, you know, he's just trying to learn how to walk right now. I, I don't know where that fits into the timeline here. So um, I think resetting uh, everybody's expectations, including his own, is an important part of this process. Nota, those pictures from February were frightening. Tiger's fortunate to be alive, and he even said that he didn't have an amputation which was 50-50 he said at one point for so many people who care about him for his family and friends what lifestyle changes do you think are ahead for him well I think the the critical thing is that they were able to save the legs so you have to give a tremendous amount of credit to the doctors and, and nurses and everybody that was sort of a part of that entire process because I know that was a consideration at one point as he mentioned um, and having watched you know my good friend and our, our teammate Casey Martin lose his leg recently um, you know it's a tough thing for a person to, to have to go through so thankfully for Tiger that wasn't um, in the cards but um, I think that the rehabilitative process for Tiger has always been something that he's been good at this the, his determination his ability to reassess what his thresholds are um, and to be able to get the most the most out of what he possibly has um, is a skill uh, that I think not many in sports have had um, to the degree that Tiger Woods demonstrates that now and that he's demonstrated throughout his career. Now, the Tiger yesterday drew a pretty sharp distinction between what he referred to as tour-level golf and what he referred to as hit and giggles. Now, a hit and giggle event is something like the PNC father-parent-child tournament that he and Charlie made such a splash at last year. It's only two weeks away. They're holding a spot in the field in case Tiger feels up to it. Would you be surprised to see him play with Charlie that soon? I wouldn't. No, not at all. I mean, I think it as as he talked about it's the it's the endurance issue, but you know, a lot of things that are are going for that possibility to happen is that Tiger can ride a cart, he can drive up to the basically to the golf ball and and, and almost onto the green. So, you know, the walking might not be as much of a stress on, on the leg. Um, but also he can play Charlie's drives. I mean, I I covered them for the majority of that event last year and and Charlie was hitting most of the drives because of where his tees are at and he's such a good ball striker that you know they were taking advantage of his drives because they were much further than where Tiger's ball was hitting off of the tee so you know those are two critical things that I think might factor into him possibly showing up in a couple weeks with Charlie I know uh, the world would love to see it. Noda you said people come up to you and say when's Tiger gonna win another major and I'm about to ask you <laughs> the same thing in a different way only because Tiger said he hopes to play a Ben Hogan type of schedule you know Hogan won six majors after his bus accident. So having witnessed so many comebacks, and you said it yourself, he has a master's degree in the comeback, what do you expect from him from a performance standpoint? <laughs> well, 
I tell you, you know, when, when he was living in Orlando still and at Alworth, I would go down occasionally to visit and spend some time and just catch up away from the PGA Tour and, and whatnot. And it was the end of the year, I believe, was one of the fall events, the old Disney event. And uh, he had just come off a eight or nine win season. And I go, well, what's the goal for next year? Um, 10 wins, 11 wins. He goes, no, just four. All I want is four. So we know where his emphasis is, is and always has been. And I think that with his ability to overcome adversity and climb insurmountable um, mountains, uh, this just might be something that uh, you know could work in his favor now that they're equally spaced out, one every month for four months. And um, a lot would have to fall in place for him to contend and win, but certainly with Tiger Woods, I wouldn't rule anything out. No, the Tiger said he didn't feel the need to climb Everest again, that he'd made that climb enough. Firstly, do you believe him? And secondly, what do you think constitutes success no, not, for Tiger? Are you kidding me? No, not at all. I mean, this guy, this guy, uh, this guy lives for the the battle. Like you know, you put him in any adverse situation, and you know, which is why I think you know, also because of, of Earl. But you know, he was attracted to to military training and that environment, and and just the tactics and the 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 methodical thinking that has to go about and strategizing certain things. Like this is this is what he was born to do. He was born to to be a warrior, a fighter, and. Um, yeah, things might not necessarily, you know, fall in place as he would want, but he's going to continually keep trying to make up the difference with his mind, with his skill, and with his talent. Um, and certainly those things have not gone away. Uh, the physical attributes, which is something he's been battling now for 10 or 12 years, is the challenge. And we've seen him overcome that in many instances and I think that this is just kind of another series of hurdles that he's going to have to figure out how to navigate but like I said I, I've I've seen this guy do so many remarkable things for the last 40 years that I would not bet against it. So what constitutes success then for Tiger if he is able to come back to some kind of limited tour schedule how could you or how would he define success with that? I think success at this point and like I said we're talking about uh, a more mature, grounded Tiger Woods who uh, has really evolved as a person, in my opinion, over the last 10 years. Um, I think success at this point would be teeing it up for real in a PGA Tour event. I think that would be a huge degree of success and that would be another box that Tiger could, could check off um, and then see what you have because he said it best himself. Tournament golf is different. He needs to get his body and his game to a level where he can step inside the ropes against these monsters out here. And I call them monsters because I cover them on a regular basis and they play a game that I'm not familiar with and come out and tee it up and see what he has and then figure out, can he make up the difference? And if he thinks he can, then he'll take that next step. Well, Noda, I want to leave you with this. We're looking forward to the Noda Begay, the third Junior Golf National Championship, airing next Wednesday, 7 to 9 p.m. on Golf Channel. And on the 0 to 60 Challenge, buddy, I aced it, celebrating Native American Heritage Month. <laughs> I've dropped five pounds. Sugar is a thing of the past, pal. Uh, it's a lifestyle, Damon. <laughs> uh, I 
eliminated all the sugary beverages for 30, 30 days. I lost a few pounds myself. It was fun. I'm glad I stuck to it. And we're certainly looking forward. We had a huge turnout for our junior golf series this year. Uh, over 4,500 kids tried to qualify. And we had a wonderful national championship. So please, everybody, uh, check it out next, uh, next Wednesday. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Back on golf today, it was a year to remember for world number two, Colin Morikawa. He won a world golf championship event, his second major at the Open. And in November, he made five birdies in the final seven holes to win the DP World Tour Championship. With the title, Colin became the first American to win the race to Dubai. And more at stake this week with a win. In the Bahamas, Colin Morikawa could become the world number one, supplanting Don Rom at the age of 24. Lots of world ranking points available this week in Albany. This tweet from Nosferatu showing the stat of the day this week. Colin could become the second fastest player to reach number one in the world after who else? Tiger Woods, both in terms of starts after turning pro and weeks after reaching the top 50 in the world. With more on Colin, we bring in Rex Hoggard from the Bahamas. Rex, what should we know? Damon, this morning when I caught up with Colin, I did not need to tell him about that tweet or the fact that if he wins this week in Albany, he will be the second fastest to be world number one. He also knew that he would only be there for one week because of the math and the way the formula works out. And he said even with that short window atop the world ranking, this was something that he'd been looking forward to for a very long time. It's a huge goal. Um, it's been a goal since I've been a little kid, obviously, to reach number one in the world. And a lot of things have to go right. You have to play a lot of good golf. Um, but, you know, I'm going to relate it back to what happened in the race to Dubai. You know, I can think about being number one in the world, but I still have to perform. I still have to play golf, and um, I've got a week to do it, so that's my focus. i got to win. After the year you've had with so much success, going into a short off season, how do you reassess your goals, and what are your plans for next season? There's a lot of goals, and I, I think there's so much for me to get, get better at. And, um, you know, some people might say that's crazy, but I think there's a lot of kind of weaknesses, and not, not really weaknesses, but areas I can be a lot more consistent on. So, um, you know, look, my goals don't stop. I'm going to keep pushing myself, keep pushing harder, and um, there's a lot more I still want to accomplish in my career, and uh, we're just getting started. Now, Colin is one of eight players who's playing the Hero World Challenge for the first time this week, and when I had a chance to talk to tournament host Tiger Woods yesterday, he talked about some of those players, but the first player that came to mind was Morikawa and how much he was looking forward to watching him perform this week. Damon? Rex Hoggard live on the scene from the Bahamas. We appreciate his report. Colin Morikawa, you see his round one tee time alongside a former world number one in Rory McIlroy, 12.22 p.m. Eastern. You can watch the hero right here on golf. And how about Colin Morikawa in this career? I almost think he needs some, like, subwoofers, you know, installed because his personality is kind of, you know, kind of level. You know, I think he's underrated and underappreciated in a way, maybe because he's just very steady. Well, how about that tea time on Thursday? I mean, this is starting to turn out to be a little bit of a rivalry in golf. Mm. Colin Morikawa nipped Rory McIlroy in Dubai a couple of weeks ago during Nipplegate, and <laughs> Rory held off Morikawa by a single shot at the CJ yes. Cup in Vegas back in October. But Morikawa does not look... He talked about weaknesses. I mean, what does that leave us? <laughs> I mean, where, where are the weaknesses in him? And you could have actually said his putting would have been widely considered the softest part of his game through his first couple of seasons on the PGA Tour. And if you go back over the last couple of years, he was 178th in strokes gained putting last yeah. year. He was 128th the year before that. He's only played two official PGA Tour events so far since the, the, the close of the last season, the Zozo and the CJ Cup. 
But right now, his strokes gain putting through those two events is 10th. Yeah. So if Colin Morikawa manages to solve any kind of putting woes that, that might be there, which don't really seem to be all that concerning, then he, he's just going to be a danger for a long time to come. And he does it with such poise as well. And the attitude, every winning speech he gives is so, is so graceful. He never kind of leaves anyone out. It's, you know, he's a role model in his third year on the PGA mm. Tour for guys who are a lot older than he is. Gave a great speech uh, at the Open as the champion golfer of the year. I learned everything I need to know about him, the way he got up and down, holding off Jordan Spieth, maybe with the putter not being the strength of his game. He made a lot of putts on that Sunday, on that back night, and also his adaptability to go to a golf course for the first time, whether it's overseas or in Vegas, and to solve that golf course and to be able to almost have a supercomputer as a mind, uh, he just the way he kind of is wise beyond his years, it's remarkable how this just doesn't seem to face him. What does he want to do? Win more tournaments, win more majors. Yeah, and he blows up all of these conventions that have been peddled in golf for years that, you know, you don't win a major a year after turning pro. You know, you don't win the Open Championship unless you have great experience on a Lynx course. Well, he hadn't seen a Lynx course until he went to the Scottish Open the week before. And, you know, the... He's got a recipe that works everywhere. If you have to lean sideways to see the flag, as Johnny Miller used to say, <laughs> on iron shots, it's going to work anywhere for you. Is there any danger for a 24-year-old uh, at this point who's already accomplished so much? He's already a two-time major champ, perhaps on the Did you forget the conversation one. we just had about Rory McIlroy? <laughs> Speed bumps turn up in life. Things yeah. can get complicated very quickly. We've seen guys who, I mean, Tiger's the prime example of it. Things can, injuries can come up. Life gets in the way. Things happen. Right now, everything in Colin Morikawa's world is on that perfect upward trajectory, and long may it continue, but generally speaking, sports careers don't last that way. Yeah, wide open fairway, wide open highway at this point in the young life of Colin Morikawa. Much more to do on this Wednesday edition of Golf Today. We continue to honor the legacy and life of Lee Elder. What's his legacy from a USGA perspective? That's next on Golf Today. Welcome back to Golf Today. We continue to honor the legacy of Lee Elder. It was in 1975 when Elder made history when he became the first black player to compete in the Masters Tournament. And in 1997, when Tiger Woods won the green jacket, Lee was on hand to celebrate the accomplishment. In fact, he famously got a speeding ticket on the way to the Masters that year. He didn't want to miss Tiger's triumph. Through the years, they have intersected at times, bumped into each other at various golf events, hugged, stood shoulder to shoulder for pictures. And yesterday, Tiger Woods spent some time talking about Lee Elder. You know, it's sad to say, but uh, Lee Elder just passed, and he was there at the back of the green um, when I won my first Masters 25 years ago. Uh, when he competed and played in his first Masters, that was the year I was born. So um, it, 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 those 25 years have gone by in blink, um, but those are you know, three significant moments that, that happened you know, all at once uh, within the same year. For more, we welcome in Hillary Kronheim, director of the USGA Golf Museum. Hillary, thank you for your time this afternoon. When a player of Lee Elder's significance passes away, what are the offices like around the USGA Golf Museum? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a difficult moment um, to try to put into words, you know, what Lee's contributions to the game of golf um, have done for all of us. But for us, this is really where our work begins, I think, to celebrate Lee's life and legacy on and off the golf course. 
and the museum is committed to preserving and celebrating those stories. And we just see it as um, an opportunity to share many of the great things that Lee did on and off the golf course. So we're, we're um, after we sort of get through that initial period, we're ready to get to work. Hillary Lee Elder had actually played in eight US Opens before he qualified for that first Masters in 1975, going all the way back to 1966. Is there a discussion, an active discussion at the USGA about how to appropriately honor Lee Elder's role in this game going forward? And do, can you give us some sense of what that would look like? Absolutely. Um, so for nearly a decade, the museum's been invested in a project, uh, the African-American Golf History Archive which is a project designed to preserve, celebrate, and elevate the experiences of African-Americans in the game of golf, Lee Elder, of course, included. And that project involves collecting artifacts, materials, um, oral histories, photographs, related to sort of creating an authentic experience. And it's really the documents and material from that archive that will enable us to create content, put on exhibits, participate in documentaries, and really be the repository for that information that allows the USGA and other outlets as well to tell the story of Lee and the trailblazers that came before him, the Ted Rhodes, uh, Bill Spiller, um, Howard Wheeler, and all those players. So we're committed to that project, and um, that will fuel certainly the way we'll be able to tell Lee's story and the contributions of other African Americans as well. Hillary, what is that process like? Because the, the triumphs and struggles of African-American golfers are, are maybe not as known, you know, then that they're more known now, but there's there's pain in those stories also. There's segregation, there's there's sadness in those stories along with the triumph. So how do you kind of go through the process of finding those stories and telling those stories? Well, I can just give an example um, of one division of our project, which is the newspaper division. So collecting stories of African-Americans from their community in their words. So collecting newspaper articles from historically black newspapers about how golf was talked about and spoken about from their perspective and layering that into the parallel story of professional amateur golf in America. I think the combination of those two things allows us to uncover <coughs> the unpleasant things, the things that are difficult to talk about. But as long as we, the museum, are really creating an authentic and accessible archive to be able to talk about that, um, that's ultimately our goal. Hillary, the USGA Museum honors a lot of people through the history of this game, but not very many of them are honored for an impact beyond their playing record. Where, where do you put Lee Elder in terms of the people who are in and honored in the USGA Museum for what they accomplished or meant to this game off of the golf course? Well, I, I certainly think that Lee will be remembered as much for not only what he did, but how he did it and sort of his dedication and perseverance, grace under pressure, were sort of unwavering and consistent throughout his life. It's, it's one of the main reasons that the USG, it is the reason that um, we honored him with the Bob Jones Award in 2019, which is our award um, recognizing distinguished sportsmanship. And it's, you know, Lee was such a model on and off the golf course, dedicating his time and his knowledge to groups that were historically underrepresented, didn't have access to golf through his charitable endeavors, whether it was his scholarship fund or, um, you know, just taking people under his wing. Those are um, 
those are uh, important chapters of his life and just really a model for how one person can make a tremendous difference in this game. Hillary, it's wonderful the work you're doing to recognize Lee and also the struggles and journey of African-American golfers as a whole. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We continue to honor the legacy of Lee Elder.